Hi, everybody. Welcome to another At the Table. Uh, this is Bishop Sue Hoppert Johnson, and we are moving toward the end of our covenant prayer discussion, but we've got more to come on Monday nights, and we'll talk about that uh, later in this episode. Today, uh, I am very excited to have uh, two folks who um, I rely a lot upon who do tremendous work for this annual conference. I'm going to let them tell you about uh, what they're excited about and what their time is spent doing. But I am delighted to have uh, Blair Zant and Yvette Massey here. And they are both uh, tremendous leaders in the annual conference and work their tails off, especially in this COVID time. I'm indebted to them for really providing a lot of resources and talking. They're in our churches week in and week out. And so anyhow, I'm going to turn it over to them. I'll let Blair start. Blair, what? Uh, tell us a little about your role and what gives you joy these days. <laughs> Thank you, Bishop Sue. I appreciate this so much. And having been uh, invited to be part of kind of the crafting of this whole at the table and prayer concept, it's it's exciting to be on the other side of the table now. And, you know, it's, I've been listening as an avid fan and kind of uh, producer behind the scenes. So to be put in you know, front of the camera and the microphone. All right, here we go. Uh, my hats off to those who sat with you before, because this is giving me joy right now. As uh, I get, I have the privilege of serving our annual conference as an ordained elder and currently serving as the director for the Center for Congregational Excellence. And this whole center exists to support, to equip, and to resource our congregations and our local congregational leaders who are on the front lines of ministry, of disciple making, of witnessing to transformation. And Bishop, as you know, uh, Yvette and I have had the privilege of getting to watch so many of our colleagues and our incredible church leaders adapt ministry in incredible ways this year. And so that's what's given me joy as a pastor is seeing how the gospel has rung true, even as the message and the delivery has shifted this year. So I love, yes, uh, prior to COVID, uh, we were in multiple churches every week, sometimes multiple churches every Sunday, mm -hmm. kind of witnessing and encouraging pastors and leaders and what they were doing and helping give kind of an outsider's view, an informed view of how to craft hospitality and how to craft preaching and, you know, how to just improve what it is that we do on the front lines, bringing best practices and now since COVID, we are in multi, even more churches a week, I think, that <laughs> uh, you probably agree with me where <laughs> we, we kind of, you know, like Facebook stock a ton of churches every single week, uh, getting to, again, see the incredible ministry that has burst forth on this digital mission field that we've now all embraced. Mm -hmm. uh, so that's, that's giving me a lot of joy is seeing people's creativity. That's my heart for ministry is uh, people gathered at a table, sharing good stories and uh, thinking creatively. So mm -hmm. for right now, that table's digital. Right. And for a large part of our conference. People all the time. I mean, exactly. it's an opportunity, I think. So, exactly. okay. Yvette, tell us about your life and work. Thanks so much, Bishop, and I'm just so excited to be here with you and Blair to talk about the work that we do in the conference. Um, in addition to serving with Blair in the Center for Congregational Excellence, I also have the privilege of working with the bishop and the cabinet on our race relations initiatives, and that really has been giving me joy. Mm -hmm. As we have been talking about being at the table and the creativity at the table, 
what working on the race initiatives does is it allows us to make sure that we're making room for everybody mm-hmm. at the table. Mm-hmm. So one of the things that I do is work a lot with Bishop and the committee, and we're working on putting together curriculum that will help to expand the minds of those who are serving in leadership, as well as those who are sitting in the pews within our conference. We are drawing heavily on the work of CCOR, which is the Conference Commission on Race and Religion. And we are putting together not just these one hit wonders, but actually trying to create an experience where people are immersed in conversation that can potentially form relationship. You know, as we're talking about these difficult things as it relates to race, one of the things that has just become clear to me is the importance of forming relationships one with another, because in relationship, that's when you can really have the hard conversation. Also an opportunity for us to sharpen each other and urge each other on to creative expressions of welcome, of hospitality, of being at the table. So we do that. And and also in our office of CCE, working on the beloved community, that's another thing that gives me joy because one of the things that we're trying to do as we are serving the churches in our conference is to make sure that all of our work is grounded in the love community so that we can assist churches to be justice seekers and justice makers so that we can assist churches to make sure that we are reaching not only the community of the church but that we're also reaching beyond the church. Because right. Bishop, one of the things that you always say is that you're appointing pastors to the church, but not to the church, but also to the community. Mm-hmm. And that is so incredibly important. Yeah. And I thought it was interesting that you even started this conversation before we got into the pandemic, because now that we're in the pandemic, we don't have the privilege of gathering in our buildings. And so we have to find creative ways to connect one with another and as well as find creative ways to make sure we're still connecting with the community. And I think if we had, uh, not that we didn't, but if we had taken more seriously your charge to be churches and pastors to the community, then we would perhaps not find it quite as difficult in the midst of this pandemic right. to push out, you know, and understand that it's not about the building. It's not about sitting in the sacred spaces with those that you know, but it's about creating sacred spaces right. with those that we don't. Well, and I think too, um, I love, uh, and I give Sybil Davidson credit, our communications person for the tagline, which is more than a tagline of love is making room. And I, I, I have seen through COVID uh, the danger of a single story. I mean, every church, every congregation ex- has experienced the pandemic differently. Uh, early on, I would talk to, uh, you know, white suburban churches who were in denial. So a lot of them were in denial about it. I don't know anybody with COVID. I don't see the problem. And then I would talk to African-American churches uh, in rural areas who were just devastated. I mean, whole families uh, were in the hospital and dying. And, and now I think, um, sadly, with the spread of the virus, uh, you know, the conversation is more in common, but it just showed me that we have great gaps that can only be um, addressed by listening and, and conversation. Whenever I see, sadly, it pains me, I will see uh, folks, even, you know, United Methodists make pretty racist comments on social media. And then I'll always go and look at their friend list. And they won't have a friend of color 
on that whole list. And I'm thinking, you haven't, you can't speak out of your reality into a reality that you know nothing about. So I think a lot of this is about making room and listening and seeing that how I perceive the world is not how everybody perceives the world and, and what influences that. So I am so grateful for your work and your constant attention to this. I mean, I think that intentionality is the name of the game and that it's easy to, um, you know, I think all of us were just aghast at the George Floyd murder and all of the, all of the, uh, the you know, the, the violence and the, and the uh, clear racial inequity we see. But it's easy once that passes to just go back to life as normal. So we've got to create the urgency and create the space at the table and create the conversations and the openness to listening or, or you know, it will all, it's there always under the surface, right? It's there always. And so um, anyhow, I appreciate your work in that regard and, and the creativity that you and Blair both bring uh, to all you do. And so um, I think a lot of our churches would have been lost without your creativity and your sense of encouragement. And, um, and really, the, you know, I keep saying, uh, and I, I do want to thank Will Zant. He's one of the few pastors who wrote me a thank you note and said, our apportionments went down dramatically this year. Every church is apportionments went down dramatically this year because our goal is to get the resources back into the churches. That's where you make the, but to have strategic conference uh, personnel and you guys are examples of that. You're in our churches, working with our churches, and you understand firsthand that the disciples are made in the local church, right? We don't sit around in the conference office meeting new people for Christ. Uh, but each of us in our own lives does that in a different way. So uh, as we look at the covenant prayer, I want to get to the very last part of it. And the covenant which I have made on earth, let it be ratified in heaven. That's kind of a weird concept, isn't it? I was thinking about ratification. The only instance of ratification I can think of is when there's an amendment to the Constitution and that's enacted. And then it goes all over to every state to be ratified. And I think it's a seal of approval, right? So um, I know that there are times when I have prayed the covenant prayer with great urgency and great fervor. And then there's times I've, I've prayed it just wrote, right? Just, and I think the ratification is, has a sense of that um, heaven will, will test my true intent, right? Uh, that, uh, I hope that uh, what I say, when I say this prayer, when I say I am yours and you are mine, do with me what you will, uh, heaven will ratify it because they see uh, movement toward that in my life and work. Mm -hmm. It's, you know, I'm amazed how people just read this glibly because it is just gut wrenching. And uh, maybe I should remind clergy of this when they're upset about moving, right? But uh, there's a sense of, um, there's a sense of, I'm laying it all out to your disposal. And um, I don't get to pick and choose, right? Which part of this I want and which I don't. And that is the reality of, of uh, you know, years ago, there was a whole, it was the whole church growth movement, which I think was flawed and it's, and it's, it had some good things came out of, it, but there was a lot of really bad theology that came out. We're, of. It. We're smiling because we're doing an inventory of all the different and, vital church, you know, resources and inventories and right. processes that we've done over the last 10 years. And Yvette and I are smiling because 
Yeah, we've done a lot of that. <laughs> yeah, but there was one book that was written in it and it was about preaching and it said you should take the words, the word surrender out of your preaching. And because that turns people off. And I thought, if you take surrender out of the Christian life, you don't have Christianity anymore. You know, if you're radically turning your life over to Christ, I don't know another word for it. And, and, and in our, you know, I'm in charge, larger than charge, American culture, that is, doesn't play well, does it? Absolutely not. And I think the fact that um, so many people don't surrender is why we see some of the things that we see today. You know, when I think about this covenant prayer, it, it's a very hard prayer to pray for me, especially those parts where it says, let me be laid aside, let me be brought low, what? You know, mm-hmm. I, I don't want to surrender like that. I, I, let me be employed, let me be yeah. let me be, let me have all things for it. But in the art of surrender, that's when we really can find out, you know, who we are, but that's also when we can find out who God is and who we allow God to be in our lives. And when I think about that last line of the prayer, one of the words that jumps out to me is actually covenant. Because mm-hmm. when I think about covenant and I think about the covenant that God has made with us through Jesus Christ, mm-hmm. it makes that prayer a little easier to mm-hmm. pray for me because it reminds me that no matter where I find myself on the spectrum of that prayer, that covenant with God through Jesus Christ is there. And if God is there, Mm-hmm. then this can be doable. You know, it may not be pretty. It may hurt sometimes. I may actually be laid low and laid out. Yeah. But God is still there. Well, and, and to me, the power is I will be loved through it. Absolutely. I will be loved with, with, and I think back to times when I've been laid aside or laid low or felt empty. And, you know, the, the irony of the spiritual life is that's when you're most open to God. And that's, I look back at the fruit of that, the work that God's done in me. Um, You know, I think of times, I remember driving home from a church meeting and thinking this whole church, you know, I've I've heard of pastors being ridden out on a rail. I've heard, and this could all go south. I mean, if, if a couple people don't take a stand, we're done here. And I remember just sobbing and driving and being in agony. And I've never prayed like that before. Or so, I mean, just strung out, talk about surrender. I can't, I'm not in control of this. I don't know. And it, it taught me a lot. And it taught me that, you know, um, even if I, even if I had been moved the next day, that God would have seen me through it. But, but I did see the Holy Spirit move in great ways in that moment of surrender and just, I, I don't have control and I can't, I can't dictate the outcome of this. So yeah, that's a great paradox. And we see that all through scripture when people are most uh, strung out or in uh, uh, liminal time, we hear that a lot during the pandemic. I'm on the threshold of something new. God's at work. So how about in your lives? I mean, that's a huge lesson for me spiritually. I think your word paradox is very helpful for me. Um, And one of my favorite parts of the at the table conversations you've been hosting is hearing people's witness, hearing their call stories as they kind of wrestle where this prayer first met them, how it shaped their lives. Um, Surrender, uh, submission has always been a tricky word for me as a Christian. And then in answering my call to ministry to serve as a pastor, 
that's always been a tricky word for me, embodying myself as a female, um, what to do with that word, especially relative to scripture. And the messaging I got, thankfully, was mixed growing up. I had, you know, voices telling me that I needed to submit, that I needed to be meek and mild interpretation of that word that meant kind of submitting myself to others and to the will, especially of more masculine roles. I had people tell me that women can't be pastors. And I grew up kind of in conversation with those traditions too, being formed by them. And on the flip side, I had people speaking empowerment and strength and giftedness and calling and, you know, take that authority, kind of these two different messagings. And so I'm sure Bishop, and Yvette, you and I've joked about this. I'm sure that I encountered this prayer somewhere along the way. I, I grew up in enough church, different circles, <laughs> but surely I knew this prayer at some point. But the first time I remember hearing it, where it actually struck me, I made it all the way to my very first annual conference where my name was read as being appointed to a church as a part-time licensed local. <laughs> and this was the prayer that we had to pray like as our ascending. And I remember thinking like, oh Lord, what have I gotten myself into? But I remember it being the perfect way to hold those things in tension, mm -hmm. that my submission, that my surrender is to my shadow. Like I surrender my shadow self. I surrender my own preference. I surrender um, kind of the, the parts of me that I hold on to that are, that are part of my pride mm -hmm. um, that's dragging me down. But I surrender those things to a God who promises throughout scripture uh, has knit me and has formed me and has called and gifted me and will continue bringing and shaping that call in new ways. Uh, but that requires my surrender. Right. Um, I, I said, I married a clergy person. We knew we were getting into this when we said I do to each other. We knew we were also saying right. I do to the Methodist itinerant system. So we were in from the beginning. That was a big part of our discernment of marriage. So even in kind of marriage and parenthood and ministry in all of these ways, holding this idea of so be it, mm -hmm. so be it. This right. is, this is the covenant God has made the promises God has made for me. I make those promises in return. And as we lean into this last line, this idea of heaven and earth holding that promise together, mm -hmm. that it's this beautiful accountability of my clergy sisters that right. hold me to that. And our clergy you know, family that holds us in marriage and the churches that love me, this kind of earthly ratification also being mirrored by the communion of the saints, mm -hmm. by those people who've come before, by those saints that have formed the church, formed the denomination, but also formed and spoken my calling. And right. um, it's just this beautiful kind of communal promise. Well, another paradox is that, um, Submission to Christ oftentimes means you take authority, right? Um, I, I don't know, growing up in the South, and we could probably, we probably should do a whole session on growing up as women in the South, right? But if you did anything that, that uh, was of your own mind, of your own, you know, you were called selfish in my family. I mean, that was the, that's selfish. You're not, you know, but with Christ, there often is, surrender to Christ means you take authority that you really don't want, right? How many times has Christ said to you, speak up, do something, take over, take charge. This isn't right. Go do this. So there is a, so 
So sometimes it's a surrender to authority in a way that the other parts of our culture don't acknowledge, right? So, so it's just, it is a fascinating kind of surrender. Um, it is a surrender to whatever God tells me to do. And sometimes that means I shut up and sit back. And sometimes it means that in surrender, I'm forced to take on things I really don't want to. Yvette, what about you? you know, I was thinking about what you were talking about growing up in the South and how in your family, um, you know, when you did things for yourself, it was looked at as selfish. But sometimes surrender causes you to do that and take that type of authority. And it was a little bit different, you know, in my family, you know, growing up in the South, my mother's from Chester, South Carolina. My father's family is from around the same area. And, you know, growing up with the, under the shadow of racism, hmm. we understood doing things as ourselves, for ourselves as unnecessary. You know, you, you absolutely have to. And so yeah. that surrender for us was indeed taking authority that we found hmm. in the scriptures of, you know, defining our own selves and, you know, tapping into our true identity is not being second class citizens, it's not being less than, but, you know, going forward and living the life that God has placed in you, letting the light of God through Jesus Christ shine through you. So for me, I definitely understand that aspect of surrender as taking authority and helping people to see an alternative or helping people to see a reality that may not be their own. And that's not an easy place to stand. And even though when we talk about surrender as taking authority, that actually sounds good. That actually sounds like the, the let me be made high for you. But that's a very hard road to walk. Yeah. And it comes with you know a lot of criticism. It comes with a lot of disappointment sometimes. It comes with a lot of hard work. And so it's not necessarily what people think it may be. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, and Christ, Christ will define my life. Christ will define, which, you know, is tremendously freeing, but I'm thinking of the book educated. I don't know if you read that, but it's about a woman who grew up in a very, um, uh, fundamentalist kind of Christian upbringing and, and to move into, uh, what she felt God was calling her into education, uh, a different worldview than her parents, uh, sometimes uh, the call of Christ and the identity that Christ has for you flies in the face of the identity that everybody else in your world has. And that's, you know, I don't know when I felt called to ministry, my family was like, are you crazy? Are you, cra you know, you're practicing law, you're making a decent living. And, and they didn't see, you know, I, I really appreciate that. I think it's so realistic in scripture when it, when Jesus says, you know, a prophet's not, not recognized in his hometown because my family didn't recognize it, but my law friends, I'd be like, I'm thinking of going, Oh, we totally see that. I'm like, whoa, this is crazy. But sometimes, yeah, the surrendering in the covenant prayer, when you enter into the covenant with Christ, um, you really say, I'll, I'll, I'm open to your definition of my life and work and your the identity in you. And, and what a beautiful thing, because only Christ knows what I was created to be. Only Christ knows. Christ knows really well my shadow side and where I get, you know, like, like Blair said, you get you got to figure that out. And there are some things that I think probably growing up, people thought were not, I remember, I remember fifth grade, my teacher said, Sue is way too assertive, right? That was the kind of evaluation you got in grade school in the South as a woman. 
But what a, I mean, <laughs> I, I, I want to find that report card and frame it, right? Because that's not a problem, really. So. I, I have one for my eldest daughter that talked about her being a leader, which was code for bossy. Was the, I mean, these are the other words that we use for assertive, strong women, right? Mm-hmm. Assertive, bossy. Um, and then I have one for my youngest that said she used her teeth inappropriately, which means she bit a kid. So we've got to work on, <laughs> used her teeth. Got to work on that too. <laughs> we, we Southerners, man, we know how to turn a phrase to, right. to yeah. stop the blow. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, Yvette, I know that you... Um, came into ministry too, after a full career, like you've, you're, you're hitting the top of everywhere you go, which is amazing. What, what did that look like for you? I'd love for you to share a little. Well, in that regard, I was thinking about it because what I had been reared to do, which is to assert myself as I understood myself, no matter what anybody else thought, hit a brick wall in my family when I decided to turn towards ministry. It's mm-hmm. like, well, well, what are you doing? And I, I never forget one of my me- family members says, oh, she's just having a, a midlife crisis. I was 23. <laughs> always been ahead of the game. <laughs> it was just like, what? You know, I, I couldn't understand that. But once I resolutely set my face toward this is what I am going to do because this is how I hear God calling me, then almost everybody kind of fell in line. Oh, I knew it. I remember when you were little, you did this and it said to me, or, and, and so then I began to get stories of affirmation from my family. So what it reminds me is that, you know, things are not always as they seem. Just like, you know, with this prayer, I realized that one of the reasons why it's hard for me to pray it is because of how I define these words. But then when I look at it, I was like, you know, things may not be the way they seem. You know, what I may fear in being brought low could be one of the best experiences. Right. You know, um, one of the low periods that I would describe in my life is when my brother had the aneurysm and, you know, God was just so gracious to us. I'll never forget. It was New Year's Eve and I was headed over to Central um, to preach and got a call that my brother was in the hospital. And the next day we flew there and went through 18 months of just absolute beauty. But in that moment, I thought, Lord, I remember sliding down the wall praying, God, I have been faithful to you. I have, I have enlisted my whole list of everything that I had done and ended it with how could you? Mm-hmm. But the how could you turned out to my brother giving his life to Christ. My brother becoming such a witness. I mean, just completely transformed. Not that he was, you know, this really bad person, right. but just completely transformed and the light shining from his life, then mm-hmm. making me reflect and say, well, wait a minute what are you doing? Yeah. You know, and reevaluating some things. So, you know, everything is not necessarily what it seems. And if I could just step back a moment Mm -hmm. and hear, you know, what God is doing in it, then it makes me more able to give myself fully into that. Right. Mm -hmm. Right. But there's still sometimes I want to take it back. Right. I want to take back take back the wheel. And I think that's why, you know, if you haven't learned anything or heard anything from me on these Monday nights, it's, this is a daily practice. This is not, you know, it's not a one and done that, that, um, every day, uh, the shadow side, the, the, the parts of me that God needs to refine out. I like that image, you know, the refining, uh, fire and, 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 steel sharpened steel, that kind of sense that I've got to be exposed to the Holy Spirit daily. If I'm not, um, 
then the shadow side sets in and then it sets in by kidding yourself. You know, it's almost like, uh, I don't know if you've ever known a severe um, juvenile diabetic, but with these pumps that they have, a lot of times they, they can't tell, you know, when their sugar uh, gets low, they, the mind kicks out and, and they aren't aware that they're in dire straits. And, and that's how I think the spiritual life is without daily monitoring. Because the first thing I think that, um, that we do is we, we kid ourselves that nothing's wrong, right? It seems like it sets in. And, and, and I know my most vulnerable times are when I'm feeling good about things, right? Uh, things are clicking along, I'm, you know? I'm, and, and that is when I, I trust, you know, I, I still remember uh, early on I had a Bible study leader and she gave me, and I've still got a little card that has the proverb, you know, uh, trust the Lord your God with all your heart and lean not into your own understanding and all your ways acknowledge him and he will direct your past. That to me is the heart of the, the covenant prayer. If I had to say, this is scripture that I hang my hat on. But um, in all your ways, acknowledge him. And so uh, that is a daily I think that's because if you don't acknowledge him in all your ways, you're going to mess your path up. And if you read all of the ancient medieval prayers, it's all about, I hope I'm on the right track. I hope I'm on, there's a sense that God creates the, the path and the, and the, um, and, and really one of the strong uh, things in those prayers is if we don't, trust God to direct the past and, and open ourselves to daily examination, then we'll get off course. Bishop, you have taken me back to a summer camp porch in mm -hmm. North Carolina where I was sitting reading scripture. I think, you know, one of my early formation and stumbled across that passage. And I remember mm -hmm. it blowing my mind. So yeah. 12 year old me is having a moment right now, even taking back to that passage and it, it hits 39-year-old me, um, knowing that, especially with the last two and a half years, as we've been part of the Center for Congregational Excellence, um, I'm so deeply grateful for the kind of um, way that God has walked alongside me, alongside us on this path. Mm -hmm. um, when, when the center was formed, and I'm so grateful for Phil Schroeder, like the more I walk in this role as director, the more I <laughs> deeply appreciate his giftedness and his vision for kind of creating the center and, and pulling us on the team. I mean, Yvette and I started the same day. We right. pointed together with this newly formed team. And I remember thinking like, what is this? I have no idea what we're about to do, what kind of adventure we're going to go on, but I can't wait. There was so much excitement, so much life for what we could create together for the kingdom as a team. And almost immediately uh, and event may, I don't know how you experience this almost immediately. I was stunned by realizing quickly that God was going to do a formative work in me mm -hmm. um, by being in conversation specifically Yvette with you, with Mike Stinson, with Juan Cantania, with Hyo Kim, um, having deep conversations that really needed to open my mind about the when we talk about, you know, this connection between earth and heaven and the kingdom come and beloved community, um, how limited and sheltered my understanding of beloved community was mm. and how formative that has been for me these last two and a half years of needing yeah. to own my stuff along the road. Mm -hmm. um, that, that path that God has walked me down, it's, 
um, I think it, it just reminded me that the essential conversation partners, that the essentialness of conversation partners right. on that, that path. Um, Yvette, so be it. What needs to be in your life and transformation? Oh, wow. So be it. Uh, there's so many directions I could go with that. Um, the so be it. Couple of things um, in my professional life, the so be it is um, a commitment to continuing to push the ideals of good trouble, mm-hmm. continuing to not only hold people accountable, but also hold myself accountable mm-hmm. and living an, as an example of one who sets out the welcome, welcome mat at the welcome table, mm-hmm. the one that is making sure that I am making room for other persons and not simply expecting other persons to make room for me. Mm-hmm. Um, and and a, in a personal way, so be it. There's some things that I just need to say, so be it too, you know, with the Lord. Um, I remember sharing with Blair uh, and, and Bishop, you know, knows the story of, of my wanting to um, have a family, wanting to be a mother. Mm-hmm. And, and when you ask us to pray this prayer, I told Blair, I said, oh gosh, I was like, you know what? Why is Bishop doing this? You know, it's almost like you were doing something specifically to me. And so um, it took me back to when I first heard this prayer at Cascade and, and beginning to choke on the words as I was reading them, like, you know, nobody really talks to me. No, I didn't want to pray it. And then being able to just say, you know what, Lord, you know, let my proverbial womb be full for you, be empty for you, whatever you want to do. I, I'm, I'm going to go with it, you know? So that's the, so be it, holding on to that and, and not wanting to take that back. Yeah, powerful. Yeah. Um, we've been through the covenant prayer and I hope you will keep it. It's on my bathroom mirror. I pray it every day. I think about it every day. Um, I do use a prayer of examine. I don't know if you've talked about that or done that before, but the prayer of examine is an ancient prayer uh, that I do every night. And I think about intentionally uh, my um, activities of the day uh, where I felt like what I was doing was pleasing to God, where God would not be proud of my uh, attitude or uh, interaction. And then uh, to examine where I saw Christ. And many times I'll start a meeting with people, introduce yourselves and tell us where you saw Christ this week. Because um, if your eyes aren't open, you aren't watching. And so the prayer of examine is one where you uh, examine your daily life. And I hope you'll do that. I do that and pray the covenant prayer because it helps me to be aware of, and a lot of times it's just not a very pleasant time because it, it points out where, you know, I, I could have done so much better or reflected Christ so much better. And you mentioned that about how do you reflect Christ? How do you be a model? How do you live into that. So Blair, I'll let you have the final word this week. What should be our breath prayer this week? What should we take from this and pray daily? (laughs) Thank you, Bishop. Uh, Knowing that we're about to begin the Lenten journey begins on Ash Wednesday, of course, uh, on Wednesday, and then we'll move into these sermons as part of our So Be It Lenten worship series that we're hosting through the conference. Um, I think that has really, those three words have been you know, resonating with me. It's that gavel, it's that resolution. And so um, I would say on earth as it is in heaven, so be it. Yeah. This vision of beloved community, right. this vision of the communion of the saints, this vision of needing to show empathy to the How person we treat one across another. for you or across the Zoom room through you as are on earth as it is in heaven, so be it. Great.
I invite you to pray that each day this week. I thank Blair Boyd Zant and Yvette Massey, uh, who are uh, working day in and day out tirelessly for our annual conference. And I am so pleased to have them as part of this journey. And um, I look forward to a conversation next week. Blair will be our first preacher. So she will be our test run. So Blair will be back with us next week. And I thank you both. And uh, I, I wish you a deeply meaningful uh, Lenten journey as we all enter into this 40 days of preparation for Easter. Thanks a lot. At the Table is produced by Sybil Davison and edited by Kim Drobes. Music is by Chuck Bell. Thank you, and I look forward to the next time we are together.